Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to those of you with us online as well. I want to acknowledge your presence, even though you're not present. You know what I mean, but glad to have you with us and hope you can be with us in person when you get a chance to do that. If we can bless you, pray for you, support you online, there's a chat. You can do that that way. Uh, Afterwards, let us uh, pray with you and talk with you uh, down near the front or in the atrium. Glad to have you all with us. Uh, this morning. Now, I know some of you are like, ah, I'm just getting warmed up. I want to worship some more. You're going to get plenty of opportunity. Uh, What we're going to do is I'm going to just do a short Easter message here in the middle. We're going to see testimonies, baptisms, and we're going to end this whole extravaganza with a big party in here. So uh, lots more to come. Uh, also, just want to acknowledge, if you'd like to give this morning, if, um, if, if you're part of our congregation, you know this, this is regular, we do this all the time, though since the COVID era, we don't pass things around anymore, we all kind of do this stuff electronically, so if you'd like to give this morning, if that's important to you, part of your worship, part of being a, a part of this congregation, you can do that in the key, uh, atrium kiosks, you can also go to our giving page at our website at any point to do that. So listen, let me just uh, take a few minutes here to help you consider some essentials this morning. I want to give you sort of the fundamentals, if you will, and then I'm going to ask you to just think about where you stand relative to these fundamentals. And all of this will be kind of setting up the baptisms we're about to witness, but it's possible that some of you will make a decision in the next few minutes to potentially be baptized this morning. You still can. We're ready for you. If you'd like to join the folks that are already prepared, a whole bunch of them, uh, there's room. We'll do this as long as we need to today. So uh, the towels, the shirts, the shorts, the works, everything's ready for you. There's some folks in the fireside room ready to coach you. And if you sort of feel that prompting or you make that decision in the next few minutes at any point, slip up, jump over to the fireside room and let us kind of get you ready. You can still uh, be baptized today if you'd like to do that. So let me just take a few minutes. I'm going to help you reflect on seven verses from the New Testament, seven verses that really, I think, capture the essence of Christianity all by themselves. They come from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to do two texts, uh, one from 1 Corinthians and the other from Ephesians. So let me just show you this 1 Corinthians text because it lays out really what we're here to celebrate today. So here we go. Paul writes, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you will have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Pause right there. The first thing I'd like you to notice is what Paul says there in verse 15 of, uh, verse 3 of chapter 15. He says, I'm telling you something that is of first importance. Now, this is Paul's way of saying, hey, this is important. Catch this. This is critical. This is essential. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you are on social media. Some of you are. Um, Some of the platforms have different ways that you can keep things on the top of your timeline so that it's always there. On Twitter, we call it a pinned tweet where you keep something important on the top. If Paul was on Twitter, and I wish he was, um, I would like to see how Paul deals with the character limit because Paul's a wordy guy. He can't can't contain himself. But if if Paul was on Twitter, I think he would pin this, this verse right here. This would be a pinned tweet. This is of first importance, Paul says. Christ 
died for our sins. Now, it happens all the time at Easter where people say, why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die? I don't, I don't get it. What's, what's the big deal? Even mainstream media will ask the question sometimes, you know, why did Jesus die? And then we start to speculate. Well, we say, well, you know, he was a threat to the Romans. That was the power structure of the day, so the Romans got him. Or the Jews who hailed him as a hero on Palm Sunday turned on him during the week because he was not apparently what they thought he was going to be. So yeah, we can blame the Romans, we can blame the Jews, we can you know, say, yeah, he was a threat to the establishment. All of that is, is true to a certain extent, but for Paul, there's a more precise answer. There's a precise answer for why Jesus died, and it's in the text, for your sin and for my sin. Jesus died because this world is messed up. Our hearts are messed up. We're all filled at some level with some hostility and anger and selfishness, the dark stuff. And as mysterious and as heady and as difficult as this is to grasp, in God's economy, he can't simply wink at sin or just ignore it. Biblically speaking, sin comes with consequences. And so the essential teaching of the scriptures is that sin separates. It creates a, a gap between us and God. And this gap, this fracture needs fixing. It needs a healing. And this healing is set in motion through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that's why Paul says, this is so important. This is of, of first importance. There's nothing more important I could say than this, that somehow... Jesus left eternity and entered into human suffering and sin and death. And this is the start of heaven working backwards, the past being redeemed, the gap between what is and what God intended beginning to be healed. So the ultimate reason that Jesus died has everything to do with your sin and my sin, the world's sin. That's why Jesus died. Now listen, I've done a lot of talks in this room and I hope it's okay for me to admit to you that sometimes my mind wanders a little bit and I drift off and I start thinking about other things instead of what I'm supposed to be doing. And one of the reoccurring things I think about sometimes is whether or not I could jump from the edge here to the first row and not like really hurt myself badly. Brody, you ready? Come on, baby. <laughs> Should I? Yeah, no, I don't think the people sitting, uh, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, but I do think about this sometimes, you know, if I could kind of bridge this gap. Uh, here's why I tell you that story, because over the years, people have tried different ways to bridge the perceived gap between us and God. That's the stuff of religious systems. Religious systems are always designed to sort of figure out a way to overcome the chasm. So I know that people, almost everybody longs to deep down inside have a clean conscience and we want to have a heart full of love for other people. We want to live with a sense of confidence. We want to live life content and safe and assured. And that's what happens when we live life with God. We all long for that. But the problem is this gap. We kind of, we sense what I'm experiencing is not what God intended. And so religion is just this way to try to figure out how to bridge that gap. And at the core of every religious system is this idea of how we bridge it. And most of them bridge it through, or supposedly bridge it through performance. History is filled with attempts to bridge the gap by being moral. 
by religious ritual, by showing up, by being faithful, by good deeds. We've all tried to bridge the gap with our goodness, but nobody's ever bridged the gap this way. Not in the history of the human race, because try as we might, there's always going to be some level of sin and brokenness and darkness that resides in here. And you would probably say the same thing if you were being honest. So if I was to try to summarize everything, I would suggest that Paul's words in 1 Corinthians contain two foundational truths about God. And the first is that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus entered our sin and suffering. He went to the cross and endured it to reveal God as Savior and forgiver of the world. The gap between what God intended and what is was beginning to be healed. And the second foundational truth about God is that he rose again. Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was raised to life. On the third day, when his followers thought they were going to see death, they saw life. And I don't know what you think about all of this. Maybe you struggle to believe the resurrection. A few minutes ago, we read that text from Matthew, and maybe you remember that line in there. We read it, where the disciples doubted, some of them doubted. Maybe you're going like, yeah, I identify with that. Maybe you doubt. But listen, the most compelling evidence I can give you for the evidence of the resurrection is the behavior of the followers of Jesus. Christian and non-Christian historians describe how these people who were absolutely devastated and disillusioned after the crucifixion suddenly became all kind of bold. Despite being warned over and over again, do not speak about the resurrection of Jesus under penalty of death, they refused to stop spreading the word about the resurrection because they saw life when they expected to see death. Foundational to Christianity, whatever you think about it, is this incredibly loaded idea from the Apostle Paul that on the third day, Jesus emerged from the tomb and said, I am alive. And in the weeks and the days which followed, hundreds and hundreds saw him, and their experience was so real and so profound that they devoted the rest of their lives to telling anybody that they would listen to them that Jesus was alive and he conquered death. And so that's why Easter is such a big day for Christ followers, because this is the day where we acknowledge that death does not get the last word. Fundamental to the basis of our whole faith here is this idea that we have a relationship with a resurrected Messiah. And so the two foundational truths about God I want to make sure get declared very clearly here this morning are, one, Jesus died for your sin and mine, and two, that he rose again. Now, I mentioned I was going to draw my comments from seven uh, New Testament verses. So two foundational truths about God come from the text I just read in 1 Corinthians. Now I want to show you two foundational truths about us. So we saw two ideas that are true about God. Now two things that are true about us, and they're going to come from a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 2. Here we go. Paul writes, as for you, it's personal. Now, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Now, I could definitely see this being another pinned tweet for Paul. Uh, the result of sin, according to Paul, is death. It's actually more than a gap. The gap, actually, that, that doesn't sound too bad. Uh, sin carries with it the idea of, 
of death, spiritual death, literal death, relational death, all, all kind of death, all the things that we're never met, made for. And it's all of this death that Jesus takes upon himself when he goes to the cross. And of course, this is good news. This is remarkably good news. This is the best news that we could ever hope for. But before we just fully celebrate the good news, we ought to grapple with the first foundational truth about us. And that is without Jesus, we're pretty much dead. Now, being dead in our transgressions, I mean, that can have a literal sense and a figurative sense. Literally, facing physical death without Jesus is a little scary. And on the figurative side of this, spiritual deadness means we have no capacity to understand and appreciate spiritual things. Just as a person who is physically dead doesn't respond to physical stimuli, a spiritually dead person doesn't respond to spiritual stimuli. So anyone apart from God is dead in more ways than one. And if that's you, well, you don't really need resuscitation today. What you need is resurrection. You need a, a pretty dramatic shift. You need to experience moving from death to life. Which brings us to the second foundational truth about us, and that is we can be brought back to life because Jesus bridged the gap. Jesus' actions repaired the distance between what is and what God intended. And so that means anyone can experience a kind of transition from death to life. Look closely at the text one more time at verse 4. The two best words maybe in Paul's whole letter to the Ephesian church are in verse 4. The two words are but and God. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions in sin, but. I love that word but in there. Because of his great love, God, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace that you've been saved. You were dead, but God made you alive with Christ by grace. That's the essential message of the Christian faith. Jesus died for your sin and was raised to life. Without him, you and I are dead, but through him, with him, we're raised to life. Now, the only other thing I'd like you to do the rest of this morning is to think about where you are relative to these ideas, these truths. Again, I know some of you aren't sure about Jesus and Easter and the resurrection and all of this death to life stuff. Some of you are with the disciples, some of those that doubted. You're not sure if the resurrection happened. Even if you accept the fact that Christianity teaches it and, and you know, you sort of participate in it to a certain extent. You know, even today, you're here, you will go to church once in a while, you'll do an Easter egg hunt, maybe make a ham, go for a walk today. That's all good. But maybe, maybe you see it as a metaphorical way, a metaphorical way of just speaking about hope. Perhaps you kind of think of all of this as symbolic, not something to be taken literally or seriously. If that's you, listen, with all due respect, can I just challenge you? Can I encourage you to explore the claims of Christ for real, to really understand his life and the claims that he makes on your life? If you want, I can point you in the direction of a lot of good resources that might help you with that, including the next series. We'll start next week, and I'll tell you more about uh, that at the end. But if you would just determine today, if nothing else, to just 
explore the message of Jesus, that by itself would be a win. Now, others of you, um, there's enough evidence that you've seen. Something happened. Something like the resurrection probably happened. You believe that Jesus died on a cross and that he was raised to life again, but maybe you've never responded to it. Maybe you've never responded to the, the invitation that he makes to you. Maybe you've been trying to bridge the gap by being moral. You know, you've been doing some of the moral stuff. Or you've been doing, you know, the going to the church stuff, you know, not stealing from work and sponsoring a kid and coaching hockey. And yeah, that stuff should count for something, right? But if that's you, the challenge I might give you today is to, to just make a decision. Maybe this is the day you say to God, okay, God, I'm going to stop relying on my own efforts. I'm going to stop trying to bridge the gap myself. And I will accept your offer of grace and forgiveness. I humble myself, I admit that I'm a sinful person with a sin nature, and I declare Jesus my forgiver, my savior, and my leader. I'm yours, Jesus, I'm yours. This can be your day. What an awesome thing it would be if on Easter, the day we celebrate Jesus moving from death to life, you, in a sense, made a similar declaration, and you finally moved from death to life. Others of you, you know, you've believed this for a long time. Today is just like a victory lap. You've already staked your life on this. You're already a follower. Well, for you, Easter is your day one more time. Easter is the day you celebrate what Jesus has done for you and for a whole lot of other people. And you are no longer dead, but you are made alive in Christ. And so now I'd like to get out of the way and get to the most important thing that we're going to do today. Because... Sometimes we have a difficult time grasping the idea of death to life. Sometimes it's difficult to fathom the reality of forgiveness and, and what it looks like to live in it. And so maybe for some of those reasons, Jesus instituted this practice that we call baptism. He was baptized and he urges his followers to do the same. And for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus on every continent, in every country and nation and stripe and, and expression of faith have been following Jesus' challenge to be baptized. Baptism is a way of declaring faith publicly and demonstrating death to life practically. One more time. Baptism is a way of declaring faith publicly and demonstrating death to life practically. This is something that was practiced by the Israelites in Jesus' day. Maybe you've heard of a guy named John the Baptist. Anybody know why they called him that? Because he baptized people. No I always tell you, there's no trick questions here. It's pretty simple. Um, Baptist was not a denomination back in the day. He didn't have cousins like Dave the Methodist or Art the Lutheran, nothing <laughs> like that. When an Israelite was baptized, it was their way of saying, I want to be known as someone who loves God. I admit that I need cleansing. I know I'm sinful. I know God is the only one who can clean me up. And so the imagery in baptism, it's really, really important. It is death. It is burial. It is resurrection. It's the whole picture there. It's death to life. So listen, what about you? Some of you, you're wrestling in the last hour, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine people joined the others. We've got probably 20-something, close to 30. In the, it's going to be a pretty cool expression here in the next few minutes. But if you want to move, if you want to join them, 
Now's the time to go for the next few minutes. So what I'd like to do is get out of the way and let some of these really brave, uh, cool people, mostly teenagers, a lot of them, show you the way today. They're going to testify. Their words are going to speak much more loudly and effectively than my words. So let's let them share and let's be inspired.